Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep. Literature like the dictionary, laws, various manuals, the different terms of services that everyone agrees to but never really reads, and other random boring ideas. Tonight, we return to another episode of Grey's Anatomy, the medical human anatomy textbook, first published in 1858 by British anatomist and surgeon Henry Grey, not Meredith Grey. If you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, the more people that sleep with Josh, the better. Feel free to also follow this podcast on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Now sit back, relax, and close your eyes because you'll get tired of this podcast. Guaranteed. Gray's Anatomy of the Human Body, 20th edition, published in 1918, continuing from part one with The Reproduction of Cells. Reproduction of cells is affected either by direct or by indirect division. In reproduction by direct division, the nucleus becomes constricted in its center, assuming an hourglass shape, and then divides into two. This is followed by a cleavage, or division, of the whole protoplasmic mass of the cell, and thus two daughter cells are formed, each containing a nucleus. These daughter cells are at first smaller than the original mother cell, but they grow, and the process may be repeated in them. 
indirect division or karyokinesis or karyomitosis has been observed in all the tissues, generative cells, epithelial tissue, epithelial tissue, connective tissue, muscular tissue, and nerve tissue. It is possible that cell division may always take place by the indirect method. The process of indirect cell division is characterized by a series of complex changes in the nucleus, leading to its subdivision. This is followed by cleavage of the cell protoplasm. Starting with the nucleus in the quiescent or resting stage, these changes may be briefly grouped under the four following phases. 1. Prophase The nuclear network of chromatin filaments assumes the form of a twisted skein or spirum, while the nuclear membrane and nucleolus disappear. The convoluted skein of chromatin divides into a definite number of V-shaped segments, or chromosomes. The number of chromosomes varies in different animals, but is constant for all the cells in an animal of any given species. In man, the number is given by Fleming and Duisberg as 24. Coincidentally, with or preceding these changes, the centriole, which usually lies by the side of the nucleus, undergoes subdivision, and the two resulting centrioles, each surrounded by a centrosphere, are seen to be connected by a spindle of delicate achromatic fibers, the achromatic spindle. The centrioles move away from each other, one toward either extremity of the nucleus, and the fibrils of the achromatic spindle are correspondingly lengthened. A line encircling the spindle midway between its extremities or poles is named the equator, and around this the V-shaped chromosomes arrange themselves in the form of a star, thus constituting the mother star or monaster. Phase 2. Metaphase. Each V-shaped chromosome now undergoes longitudinal cleavage into two equal parts, or daughter chromosomes. 
the cleavage commencing at the apex of the V and extending along its divergent limbs and extending along its divergent limbs. Phase 3 Anaphase The daughter chromosomes, thus separated, travel in opposite directions along the fibrils of the achromatic spindle toward the centrioles, around which they group themselves, and thus two star-like figures are formed, one at either pole of the achromatic spindle. This constitutes the diaster. The daughter chromosomes now arrange themselves into skein or spirum, skein or spirum, and eventually form the network of chromatin which is characteristic of the resting nucleus. Phase 4 Telophase the cell protoplasm begins to appear constricted around the equator of the achromatic spindle, where double rows of granules are also sometimes seen. The constriction deepens and the original cell gradually becomes divided into two new cells, each with its own nucleus and centrosome, which assume the ordinary positions occupied by such structures in the resting stage. The nuclear membrane and nucleolus are also differentiated during this phase. The ovum. The ova are developed from the primitive germ cells which are embedded in the substance of the ovaries. Each primitive germ cell gives rise, by repeated divisions, to a number of smaller cells termed oogonia, from which the ova, or primary oocytes, are developed. Human ova are extremely minute, measuring about 0.2 millimeters in diameter, and are enclosed within the egg follicles of the ovaries. As a rule, each follicle contains a single ovum, but sometimes two or more are present. By the enlargement and subsequent rupture of a follicle at the surface of the ovary, an ovum is liberated and conveyed by the uterine tube to the cavity of the uterus. Unless it be fertilized, it undergoes no further development and is discharged from the uterus. But if fertilization takes place, it is retained within the uterus and is developed into a new being. 
in appearance and structure. The ovum differs little from an ordinary cell, but distinctive names have been applied to its several parts. Thus, the cell substance is known as the yolk or ooplasm, the nucleus as the germinal vesicle, and the nucleolus as the germinal spot. The ovum is enclosed within a thick, transparent envelope, the zona striata or zona pellucida, adhering to the outer surface of which are several layers of cells derived from those follicle, from those of the follicle, and collectively constituting the corona radiata. Yolk. The yolk comprises the cytoplasm of the ordinary animal cell with its spongioplasm and hyaloplasm. This is frequently termed the formative yolk. The nutritive yolk, or deutoplasm, which consists of numerous rounded granules of fatty and albuminoid substances embedded in the cytoplasm. In the mammalian ovum, the nutritive yolk is extremely small in amount and is of service in nourishing the embryo in the early stages of its development only. Whereas in the egg of the bird, there is sufficient to supply the chick with nutriment throughout the whole period of incubation. The nutritive yolk not only varies in amount, but in its mode of distribution within the egg. Thus, in some animals, it is almost uniformly distributed throughout the cytoplasm. In some, it is centrally placed and is surrounded by the cytoplasm. In others, it is accumulated at the lower pole of the ovum, while the cytoplasm occupies the upper pole. A centrosome and centriole are present and lie in the immediate neighborhood of the nucleus. Germinal vesicle. The germinal vesicle, or nucleus, is a large spherical body which at first occupies a nearly central position, but becomes eccentric as the growth of the ovum proceeds. Its structure is that of an ordinary cell nucleus, viz. It consists of a reticulum or karyomatome, the meshes of which are filled with karyoplasm while connected with or embedded in 
the reticulum are a number of chromatin masses or chromosomes which may present the appearance of a skein or may assume the form of rods or loops. The nucleus is enclosed by a delicate nuclear membrane and contains in its interior a well-defined nucleolus or germinal spot. Coverings of the ovum the zona striata, or zona pellucida, is a thick membrane which, under the higher powers of the microscope, is seen to be radially striated. It persists for some time after fertilization has occurred and may serve for protection during the earlier stages of segmentation. It is not yet determined whether the zona striata is a product of the cytoplasm of the ovum or of the cells of the corona radiata, or both. The corona radiata consists of two or three strata of cells they are derived from the cells of the follicle and adhere to the outer surface of the zona striata when the ovum is set free from the follicle. The cells are radially arranged around the zona, those of the innermost layer being columnar in shape. The cells of the corona radiata soon disappear. In some animals, they secrete or are replaced by a layer of adhesive protein, which may assist in protecting and nourishing the ovum. The phenomena attending the discharge of the ova from the follicles belong more to the ordinary functions of the ovary than to the general subject of the embryology and are therefore described by the anatomy of the ovaries. Maturation of the ovum before an ovum can be fertilized, it must undergo a process of maturation or ripening. This takes place previous to or immediately after its escape from the follicle and consists essentially of an unequal subdivision of the ovum, first into two and then into four cells. Three of the four cells are small, incapable of further development, and are termed 
polar bodies, or polycytes, while the fourth is large and constitutes the mature ovum. The process of maturation has not been observed in the human ovum, but has been carefully studied in the ova of some of the lower animals, to which the following description applies. Modern day sidebar. I'm assuming the human ovum has been observed maturing with current technology. So the next part is describing an animal ovum maturing. It was pointed out on page 37 that the number of chromosomes found in the nucleus is constant for all the cells in an animal of any given species, and that in man the number is probably 24. This applies not only to the somatic cells, but to the primitive ova and their descendants. Another modern sidebar uh, to date in 2020, there are 23 pairs of human chromosomes, totaling 46 human chromosomes. Back to the book from 1918. For the purpose of illustrating the process of maturation, a species may be taken in which the number of chromosomes is four. If an ovum from such be observed at the beginning of the maturation process, it will be seen that the number of its chromosomes is apparently reduced to two. In reality, however, the number is doubled since each chromosome consists of four granules grouped to form a tetrad. During the metaphase, each tetrad divides into two dyads, which are equally distributed between the nuclei of the two cells formed by the first division of the ovum. One of the cells is almost as large as the original ovum, and is named the secondary oocyte. The other is small, and is termed the first polar body. The secondary oocyte now undergoes subdivision, during which each dyad divides and contributes a single chromosome to the nucleus of each of the two resulting cells. The second division is also unequal, producing a large cell which constitutes the mature ovum, and a small cell, the second polar body. The first polar body frequently divides while the second is being formed and as a final result, four cells are produced, viz. 
the mature ovum, and three polar bodies, each of which contains two chromosomes, i.e. one half the number present in the nuclei of the somatic cells of members of the same species. The nucleus of the mature ovum is termed the female pronucleus. The spermatozoan. The spermatozoa, or male germ cells, are developed in the testes and are present in enormous numbers in the seminal fluid. Each consists of a small but greatly modified cell. The human spermatozoan possesses a head, a neck, a connecting piece or body, and a tail. The head is oval or elliptical, but flattened so that when viewed in profile, it is pear-shaped. Its anterior two-thirds are covered by a layer of modified protoplasm, which is named the head cap. This, in some animals, for example, the salamander, is prolonged into a barbed spear-like process, or perforator which probably facilitates the entrance of the spermatozoan into the ovum. The posterior part of the head exhibits an affinity for certain reagents and presents a transversely striated appearance, being crossed by three or four dark bands. In some animals, a central rod-like filament extends forward for about two-thirds of the length of the head, while in others, a rounded body is seen near its center. The head contains a mass of chromatin and is generally regarded as the nucleus of the cell surrounded by a thin envelope. The neck is less constricted in the human spermatozoan than in those of some of the lower animals. The anterior centriole, represented by two or three rounded particles, is situated at the junction of the head and neck, and behind it is a band of homogeneous substance. The connecting piece, or body, is rod-like and is limited behind by a terminal disc. The posterior, centriole, is placed at the junction of the body and neck and, like the anterior, consists of two or three rounded particles. From this centriole, an axial filament, surrounded by a sheath, runs backward through the body 
and tail. In the body, the sheath of the axial filament is encircled by a spiral thread, around which is an envelope containing mitochondria granules and termed the mitochondrial sheath. The tail is of great length and consists of the axial thread or filament surrounded by its sheath, which may contain a spiral thread or may present a striated appearance. The terminal portion or end piece of the tail consists of the axial filament only. Krauss gives the length of the human spermatozoan as between 52 micron and 62 micron, the head measuring 4 to 5 micron, the connecting piece 6 micron, and the tail from 41 micron to 52 micron. By virtue of their tails, which act as propellers, the spermatozoa are capable of free movement, and if placed in favorable surroundings, for example in the female passages, will retain their vitality and power of fertilizing for several days. In certain animals, for example, bats. It has been proved that spermatozoa retained in the female passages for several months are capable of fertilizing. The spermatozoa are developed from the primitive germ cells which have become embedded in the testes and the stages of their development are very similar to those of the maturation of the ovum. The primary germ cells undergo division and produce a number of cells termed spermatogonia, and from these the primary spermatocytes are derived. Each primary spermatocyte divides into two secondary spermatocytes and each secondary spermatocyte into two spermatids, or young spermatozoa. From this, it will be seen that a primary spermatocyte gives rise to four spermatozoa. On comparing this process with that of the maturation of the ovum, it will be observed that the primary spermatocyte gives rise to two cells, the secondary spermatocytes and the primary oocytes to two cells, the secondary oocyte and the first polar body. Again, the two secondary spermatocytes by their subdivision give origin to four spermatozoa and the secondary oocyte and the first polar body to four cells, the mature ovum, 
and three polar bodies. In the development of the spermatozoa, in the spermatozoa, as in the maturation of the ovum, there is a reduction of the nuclear chromosomes to one half of those present in the primary spermatocyte. But here the similarity ends, for it must be noted that the four spermatozoa are of equal size and each is capable of fertilizing a mature ovum, whereas the three polar bodies are not only very much smaller than the mature ovum, but are incapable of further development and may be regarded as abortive ova. And that is where we're going to end this episode of the Sleep with Josh podcast. Unfortunately, only towards the end did I learn that I've been saying oocyte wrong the entire time. It's actually oocyte. I gotta make a note of that moving forward. Either way, congratulations. You, the listener, have just slept with Josh. But if you're still awake, please don't forget to follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and give us a review because, well, I hope this was as good for you as it was for me. Thank you and good night.